Welcome to the ICC podcast, Intelligence Career Conversations. I'm your host, Jim Donnelly, and it's a true pleasure to introduce our distinguished guest for this episode, Kevin Miners. Kevin brings a wealth of experience as the former Deputy Director of International Intelligence for Enterprise Capacity at the ODNI. In this significant role, he had responsibility over all aspects concerning resources, workforce, systems technology, infrastructure within the intelligence community. Before his tenure with ODNI, Mr. Miners assumed the role of Deputy Undersecretary of Defense for Portfolios, Programs, and Resources in the Office of Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence. Uh, throughout his career, he's held various leadership roles within the intelligence community and the Department of Defense, to include trusted consult with both the DOD and IC for the oversight of ACAT-1D major systems acquisition developments, adapt strategic thinker with deep technical knowledge solving complex ISR mission and system requirements, and a savvy resource manager leading the development of both the National Intelligence Program and military intelligence programs. Uh, Kevin is now a consultant on various boards to include commercial, FFRDC, and academic board positions. Kevin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. We'll jump right in, Kevin. Certainly a very impressive background and goes without saying thank you very much for your service, uh, sir. What inspired you to work in national security? You know, it's, uh, I have to, God bless my mom and dad. They're, they're long gone, but, uh, boy, they were great role models. Uh, my dad was in the Navy. You know, he grew up in Kansas City, Missouri as a grocery guy and he joined the Navy to see the world and, and, you know, growing up with the dad that was in the Navy, you know, he, he, he kind of taught you service before self. Uh, my mom was a teacher, you know, she was a PE teacher. She was a, you know, ran our youth group at our church. Um, you know, as, as, as I walked upstairs to go to bed at night, I got to tell you, my parents, they had three pictures of the wall. It was, uh, John F. Kennedy, you know, Martin Luther King and Jesus. And so, you know, service before self was, sort of ingrained in you. And then I got to tell you, I got lucky when I, I, I got to Virginia Tech because I wanted to be an engineer. One of their themes is uh, prosum, which is uh, that I may serve. And they, uh, they kind of, you know, throughout your college career, they kind of throw that at you quite a bit. Uh, you know, it's really about service, service to the nation. Um, and so I got lucky. Uh, the Navy hired me and uh, I started as a GS-5. <laughs> Pretty much at the bottom of the total pole, but it was, uh, it was 37 years later. I was like, wow, what a career. It was fun. Quick, looking at that, back on that 37 years, um, what do you think the IC community will look like in the next 10 to 20 years? You know, I'm, you know, that's a, a very hard question because, yeah. you know, like when I was working in, in OSD, they would come up with vi joint vision 2020 or joint vision 2030, you know, and, What's the, you know, state of warfare going to look like in the future? Um, I would tell you, you know, the IC has, has grown. I mean, there's 18 organizations now with the Space Force in there. Um, and you know, with expansion comes contraction. So a lot of, you know, and so I'm going to talk organizationally. Um, you know, there's, there's, you know, Dr. Vickers just came out with his latest book and, you know, he's throwing out, he threw out a couple of big ideas there at the end, which is, you know, maybe CIA and DIA need to think about uh, kind of coming together or, you know, has the time for the ODNI kind of come and gone in terms of that, you know, because, you know, the, the, the premise of why it started. Um, 
So again, you know, Space Force, you got the NRO, do they merge? Do they come together in some way? Um, I know Troy Mink will kill me the next time I see him that I have actually mentioned that. But, uh, but again, I think in the next 10 to 20 years, you know, uh, it, it, it's, it, I see it has expanded greatly. And I, you know, I, to me, it's just sort of like companies, you know, they all expanded. We had all this and then we had, you know, right now, some some folks are saying that we've we've consolidated too much, uh, but but again with expansion comes contraction. So uh, I I, I kind of see some things merging maybe in the future, next ten to twenty years. Okay, no great perspective. Um, what would you say are major differences between working in the IC uh, in the public and the private sector? You know, I, I'm going to rephrase your question. The way I see that question is, uh, do you see, for me anyway, do you yeah. see a difference between a blue badger and a green badger? And I got to tell you, I see no difference whatsoever. And again, I, I'm i a little different than most people. And I'm sure my OGC legal folks would, are, are, you know, if I was still there, they would be freaking out that I said that. But I really didn't see a difference. I, I did not. I mean, I would walk into an NRO ground station and, you know, you had a young captain with the blue badge on and then he would have 20 green badgers and they were controlling all the satellites. Um, I, you know, I couldn't tell the difference between what, who was a blue badger and green badger. I mean, you know, whether you're in the government or you're a contractor supporting the government, you're still doing the same mission. You're still, you know, trying to collect the best intel for the warfighter or for the, the policymaker. Um, so, again, I I. I never saw a difference between a blue badge and a green badge. I, I know there's some out there that do, but uh, for me, whether you're a govy or whether you're a contractor, to me, we're all doing the same mission. We're all we're all getting paid from the same place, the same government. <laughs> so um, anyway, I, I, I never saw a difference. No, that's great. It's all about the mission focus. I like that uh, perspective very much. Um, what's the one thing you wish someone had told you uh, when you were five or maybe 10 years into your career, Kevin? So, uh, so I, as I alluded, I, I started the Navy. I started uh, SPA War and then uh, Naval Air Systems Command. And so I, I became uh, a program manager. Loved it. Built airplanes, spy aircraft. It was fun. BPU special projects, EP3s. And so um, I used to work for this guy, John Stinbit, and he used to use this term all the time, the guild. So I was in the program management guild. It's your tribe. Um, and I was going to be a program manager the rest of my life. I loved it. I mean, I, I've met people that their whole career, they're men program managers. They, you know, they just go from one, one, you know, from a, P, you know, junior PM to a PM to a PEO to, you know, it's, it's, it's what's your mindset. I mean, that's what you're passionate about. And I didn't realize until later in my career that it's okay to leave your guild, to go outside your guild and, and, and try something different just to get new perspectives. Um, and so a lot of times when I'm mentoring young folks, like let's say uh, a young lady down at NGA, she was working uh, Source. And, you know, she loved Source. Source was where it was all at. And I, and she says, hey, so, um, you know, get, you know, coming up on, next career move here, what would you suggest? I said, have you ever thought about going over to analysis? Ah, oh, analysis. No, I'm not an analyst. I don't like it now. Oh, I'm a source. I said, look, I'm telling you, you know, she's like five or 10 years into her career. I said, it could be a game changer. Um, so she went over to analysis. She loves it. Now it's a game changer on a different level for her because she met her husband over <laughs> in analysis. 
Uh, she's now since gone back to source, but she says to me that now she understands so much better what the analyst is looking for from the collection folks. Um, and having spent that time over in analysis and then coming back to collection, she, she understands better how to do her job, uh, to satisfy the analyst requirements. So again, I would say, uh, it's okay to jump outside of your guild. Uh, uh, you know, to your, 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 your tribe per se, go try something different. Um, it, it just, it, it, it broadens your perspective and I always find it makes you better, uh, when you come back to your tribe. Well, that, that's, that's great. How about using that as a segue, uh, Kevin? How about if you were talking to someone right now in college? Uh, you know, the junior to senior year looking to in IC is an area of interest to them. What type, type of advice would you uh, give give to them? So um, and, and, and I do this all the time and, and it, it, it's uh, it's weird advice, but I'm telling you, it makes a huge difference. And that is think about co-ops and internships within the uh, within the uh, IC. And the reason I say that is because it's all, you know, so, so I've seen folks wait until they, you know, graduate from college and they go, I want to work for CIA or I want to work for NGA. Then they start the clearance process, six, 12 months, 18 months. And then before you know it, they're like, Hey, I'm going to work someplace else. So again, if you're like a sophomore or a junior and you work for the summer, let's say at the NRO as an internship, you've got your interim top secret. You got your, you know, your SEI. So by the time you get out of college, your clearances are set. You could go to work for any one of the agencies. So again, um, I, you don't get paid. So one, one of the things that you'll hear is, uh, I don't get paid as much if I, you know, if I went to this company versus doing an internship at, uh, the NRO for the summer, I'm telling you, the mission is fun. You might not get paid as much, but the key to life is that security clearance and doing a co-op or an internship. While you're in college, I'm telling you, when you get out, it opens up so many more uh, uh, avenues for you. I mean, you can still go work for a contractor. Um, uh, you know, you probably get paid more because you have your clearances already in place. But uh, but again, if you really want to work in the intelligence community, a uh, big idea is do internships, co-ops during your summer or, you know, do, you know, and it, um, back in my day, a lot of my roommates at Virginia Tech, they were co-ops and we had the quarter system. So they would work a quarter you know, CIA, NSA, and they come back a quarter, work a quarter. Uh, it, 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 it makes you probably spend an extra year in college. So instead of graduating four years, it's five years. But boy, I tell you, you know, when they started, I started as a GS5. They were starting as nines and 11s because they already put in the time. But anyway, it's all about clearances and, and helping you get your clearance process started early, uh, earlier in your, you know, your college career helps you when you graduate. Yep. I mean, from the private side, it certainly resonates with me as far as the uh, the lack of people out there with those clearances. They're very valuable, very valuable. How about what do you give advice to folks when you're talking at that, you know, that at the folks, the young professionals in college, as far as specific intelligence disciplines that would be right for them uh, within a particular agency or so, say, you know, uh, doing analysis or different types of uh, work. And see, that's one of the fun things about doing an internship or a co-op. Like you can go in and say, hey, I'm going to work for this piece of NGA or this part of NRO. And then you come back and then you do another. Let's say you do another internship the next summer and you try a different place. 
and you sort of get that feel for wh what you want to do. But it's interesting when I when I find uh, when I talk to the young college folks, they sort of know, right? So uh, just a, a young guy from from Virginia Tech, as a matter of fact, engineer. He's like, I want to be, I want to work at the NRO, and I want to be an engineer. And I was like, I I can uh, absolutely, that's a great idea. Um, you know, um, uh, a nice young lady here at uh, Mary Mountain University. I want to go do policy. And then, and then, so, so you sort of, they, they sort of have their mindset made up early on. Uh, but I always tell them to keep their minds open, right? Think, think about, uh, uh, you know, even though you want to do this thing, uh, don't, don't close all the doors. Great. No, that's great advice. How about speaking of advice? What's some of the best career advice you've received over your career, Kevin, or maybe one specific example? Um, so, uh, I would tell you, you know, when I got to the Office of Secretary of Defense, uh, they had this weird training program. It was a weird acronym, I should say. It was the Senior Executive Management Development Program, SEMDEP. And so, you know, they give you this checklist and they say, the first thing you do is go find a mentor. And I was like, hmm, what's a mentor? No idea. Um, and of course, I was working for USDATNL Pete Aldridge at the time, who was a very senior you know, he's a, you know, a, a Senate confirmed position, you know, and I'm sitting against the back row one day and I walk up to Pete Aldridge and I was like, hey, sir, I'd like you to be my mentor. You know, so you could imagine all the 06 MAs were kind of chuckling. <laughs> and he was so gracious and so nice. He's like, Kevin, you know, I come from the corporate side. I don't really understand government. You know, let me introduce you to one of my deputy undersecretaries. She will be more than happy to, to be your mentor. And I'm telling you, um, Finding good mentors throughout your career helped me tremendously. Uh, you, you know, you how get the tough road. I'm so, how did you leverage that mentor, Kevin? So again, you, you, uh, so, so for me, um, I was at GS15 at the time. And I, if you can imagine, I was at GS15 and never had a mentor in my life. It was crazy. Hmm. And I wanted to be an SES. And so the way, uh, she helped me was she basically, uh, you know, she would, you know, back then we didn't have all the computer stuff we have, you know, you know, USA Jobs and all that. It was this book, and she would open it up, and she would say, apply for this SES job. I go, but I don't want that job. She goes, just do it. And, again, what, the way she, she taught me and mentored me was it's really hard putting your SES package together, the Senior Executive Service Package, and, and it just takes for, it's hard and it takes a long time and, and, and you're going to fail a couple of times. And what, what she, she really helped me was I went through three or four different applications, really learn how, what they're looking for in a package, what's a superior, what's an acceptable in terms of grades, and then getting through that interview process. Boy, if it wasn't for her and that mentorship that she provided me, I, I don't think I would ever become an SES because it, it, you know, um, it's a, it's a, it, it, again, I've passed that along through my years, uh, where I sit down with folks and I go, show me your package. Let me look at it. I've been on selection boards. And again, having a good mentor to be able to help you, uh, as you advance through your career, I cannot tell you the number of mentors I've had over my years that have pushed me in different directions, stretched my rubber bands, um, got me out of my comfort zone. Um, it's just, you know, that, 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 
if you if a young person can and again you don't have to have one mentor you can have two or three five mentors um doesn't have to be at work it could be outside of work some you know just a senior person in your neighborhood or you know someone at church that you you know you you know again mentors uh go across across different fields and aspects of your life and having good mentors is i'm telling you some of the best advice you ever got okay no Great, great, great answer. How about we talked early on about, you know, what is the IC going to look like in the next 10 to uh, 20 years? What would you say are some of the biggest work, workforce challenges facing the IC now? Um, or what are the top three challenges facing IC workforce, uh, would you say? So again, like I said, number one is clearances. Uh, I cannot tell you how many people we lose because you know, I would talk to the CIA folks, you know, that were doing HR and because their process is a little more rigorous. And, you know, this person's waiting six months, 12 months, 18 months. And then by the time they say, hey, uh, you know, uh, sorry, I've already taken another job. So so that clearance threshold, I, I, I know we're working on it. I, uh, I, you know, it's but it's still it's it's one of those. It's, it's a it's a killer. Uh, you know, I'll tell you, like Robert Cardillo, when he was director NGA, had a great vision which was as they build new campus West, you have an unclassed, a secret and a, and a top secret SCI. So the idea is, let's say you need a bunch of coders or data scientists, you bring them at, at, at the unclear level, right? They can work at NGA, NGA West has unclear spaces. They do whatever they do, you know, and then over time they get cleared secret, they can move into the secret, right? And then, and then over time they get cleared top secret and they move into top secret. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I thought uh, uh, Robert's vision of, of sort of, how to work through that clearance, uh, you know, hurdle there with the, with having unclassified spaces, secret spaces, top secret mix. Now there's CI concerns. I know there's security concerns with that in terms of different security levels, but I tell you, whoa, I, I, you know, from, from a workforce perspective, that, that really helps. Now the second one I would tell you, it always comes down. Uh, this is what I hear anyway from the young folks is pay. So. You know, data scientists coming out of uh, Virginia Tech, they get uh, they go to work for one of the the CETA contractors. They're getting paid 85k a year. Starting bone. I mean, I started at 21.5 as <laughs> a GS5, 85,000 out of college. I, I guess that's typical now. But you know, if you go to work for let's say NGA as a data scientist or DAA as a data scientist, you're going to start out as a GS9, you know, or maybe even 11. But it's not going to be getting that same kind of pay um, as you would as. But 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 I think what 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 sells us from the IC perspective is it's all about mission. Um, you know, uh, being able to look, you know, being able to sit down and work with warfighters and the IC analysts or you know policymakers. You know, from 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 that mission perspective, I know I talk to NSA folks all the time where they go, "Oh my God, it's so much fun! It's great work." Uh, and, and again, mission versus pay always seems to be the selling point for for us uh, within the IC. How about any other um, changes uh, that you would hope to see implemented that would attract talented, diverse pipeline? In the, uh, in the IC community, Kevin? So when I was at the DNI, uh, they had a great initiative under Sherry Van Sloan and CC. They were working uh, as part of the human capital uh, where we were trying, you know, it, it, 
everybody you know in college nowadays is you know they're they're digital savvy they understand you know how, how the whole system works we're, we're not doing sf80 you know we're not doing the old stuff that we used to do and so the the vision they had which was like one portal so you log into the ic portal uh which then would give you access to all the other portals for hiring so let you know you would log in to, it was kind of one-stop shop and then you could go click at NSA, see what kind of jobs they had. Let's go click at NGA. Or you could type in analysts, and then it would pop up with, here's the different analyst positions at NGA, DIA, and, you know. And so I, I don't know if it was a funding issue or we, we just had too many legal issues between the different uh, agencies in terms of, you know, how, how, uh, how, how um, hiring is done. But I'm not sure that that ever came to fruition. And, boy, I tell you. It was just a great idea. If I was, if I'm a, if I'm a junior or a senior, and I don't know which agency I want to work at, and I type in, I want to work on uh, data analysis, or I want to work on, you know, whatever, and, and, it, and it allowed you to be able to search through the, you know, so that you don't have to go into each one of the agency websites to look at all their different uh, offerings. Um, boy, I, it would just make it a lot easier for for young folks when when they're applying or trying to get their foot in the door in the IC. That, that, that another great, great, great point. Um, one last question for you, uh, Kevin. Um, was there a specific career pivot point in your in your uh, 37-year career uh, that helped shape your career trajectory? I know you mentioned your mentors and, and, and so forth. Any other instances? So I got to give a shout out to Tish Long. Um, we were working in uh, USDI. Uh, and, and it was brand new within OSD. They always had four undersecretaries, and this was the fifth. And, um, you know, we were working for uh, Dr. Steve Cambone, and, and uh, I was working for uh, Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin, and I was I was doing the PM stuff, right? I was still being a program manager for, you know, aircraft, ISR aircraft, and now I saw ground stations, ISR comms. I loved my job. Um and Tish was more uh, what we would call the green eye shade folks. It's it's not a bad term, but it was the money people, right? The FM, the the resourcing side. And she had the opportunity to take a job, I think, as deputy director of DIA. Um, and so she and, and Boykin sort of sat me down and said, hey, we would really like you to think about moving into this new area, right, the resourcing area. And, you know, I, I kind of looked at them both and I said, uh, no. <laughs> you know, and I actually looked at uh, Jerry Boykin, my boss. I said, you you hate green eye shade people. And he's like, you're not supposed to say that out loud. It's a thought bubble. You're not supposed to say it. Um, you know, Tish, you know, and what was nice was I was in Virginia Tech. Tish was Virginia Tech. Boykin was Virginia Tech. So we, we all uh, could joke with each other that way. But I got to tell you, you know, they said, take 24 hours. Think about it. Um, it's again, it's, it's that idea of pushing your mentors, pushing you outside of your comfort zone, right? As Tish would tell me, it's, it's, uh, stretching your rubber band. Um, I, you know, when I got into the resourcing side of things, I was way out of my league. Uh, a lot of great folks around me, supporting me, helping me, training me, teaching me. Um, but I gotta tell you, that was a game changer for my career. Uh, understanding how the, requirements process, the resourcing process, you know, how, how do the big decisions get made in terms of the program budget decisions and, and you know, the, the program decision memorandums, you know, and, and how CAPE 
you know, how SRA and, you know, the IC side and how, um, you know, the comptroller and how the resourcing stuff works, huge game changer for me. Because as a PM, I would just yell at the money people, hey, I need money. <laughs> Understanding, you know, you know, not only how the program management side works, but the resourcing side and the requirements piece, uh, game changer. So again, think about, you know, as a, you know, if you're a mid-year, let's say 10, 15 years in your career, think about doing a joint duty assignment in a whole totally different area, maybe a different agency that allows you to get more perspective, to, to stretch that rubber band, as Tish would say. Um, it was a game changer for me. It was uncomfortable, makes you feel very uncomfortable. You know, change is difficult, but in the long run, it, uh, you know, it's funny. I, I would walk around Pentagon and, and uh, the DNI, and they would basically say, uh, "Oh, he's a resource guy." No, I'm a program manager. You know, so so again, uh, and, you know, changing your guild, you know, changing your tribe, it's only going to help you. I think it's very valuable advice. Well, we sincerely appreciate having you on the podcast today. Uh, we're truly grateful for your willingness to share your valuable experience uh, with us. Uh, and that will conclude today's uh, podcast. Thank you again, Kevin, and for everyone listening in. Have a wonderful day. Thanks.